Holy Spirit, as you promise to work through your word, work now. Come and speak through your word and show us again the goodness of Jesus and what he's done for us and how his love is truly better than anything else we could seek after. In his name, amen. I want you to hear the words of someone who, in their own words, said they're their wildest dreams came true. In a sense, they, they got everything they wanted, everything they dreamed of as a child came true as an adult, and it still wasn't enough. The article was just from a couple years ago, and the person, his, his name is David Booth. He's a professional athlete from Detroit area, from Michigan, and played in the NHL a number of years, and then uh, had some... So quite successful years, top 20 goal score a few years, and then in 2009 had a major concussion, and then after that, his career was never the same after that, and that's his own admission, it was never the same after that, and he's bounced around and struggled, and it caused a, a crisis of heart. And so he writes about his faith journey saying, hey, I grew up in a, in a Lutheran church in Michigan, and that was very important, uh, and then, well, listen, he says, uh, after my concussion my level of success was never the same, and I needed to find my true identity in Christ. He goes on, a few more paragraphs. He says, you see, when you have everything this world offers, you're never truly content. You still feel like there's something else to achieve or there's something else that will make you happier. And we can never put our finger on it, and so we keep pursuing this feeling at all costs. And in truth, is these feelings of accomplishness or accomplishment or success will always fade because they are never satisfied. And if you go and ask anyone that's reached the top, it is never enough. And he says, you see, there is something hidden from you when you're a child dreaming of what you want to become. And the one thing they don't tell you about achieving your dream is that the dream itself will never fulfill you. It will never give you ultimate peace. It's interesting. From someone who, by their own words, have said, my dreams did come true, and it still wasn't enough. What about you and me? No matter who you are, myself included, we are tempted at times to, to take our eyes off Jesus for our daily sustenance and daily hope and put it in something much smaller than Jesus. And, uh, you know, the article's quite long that uh, David Booth wrote, and, and he would say, well, at the same time, I, I did know Jesus, I did trust in him, but, and we might all say that too, but in a daily sense, we, we might look for our hope and uh, to tell us that we matter, or to give us a true identity, we, we somehow, our eyes get tempted to something smaller than Jesus, different than Jesus, and so that's what we're exploring this Lent, is what you might call counterfeit gods. And for some, it's, it's career and success, and others, it's money, and others, it's love, and others, it's power and achievement. Uh, it's, it's often different for each and every one of us, but we're tempted to look somewhere else for the things that only God can give us. And yet, we, we try, we, we, we think something else will get us there, but the meaning and the, the identity and the security that, that we only can get from Jesus well, if we try to get it somewhere else, it just won't deliver. 
And so sometimes, and this is what we'll see with Abraham, sometimes what might seem mean or harsh is actually God's kindness and mercy to take some of those things away, even for a season. So sometimes, in God's mercy, he takes away our idols. That is, the things we look to other than God for meaning and hope and comfort and security. Sometimes God takes them away, even briefly, so that we can truly know God and trust and love him alone. Okay, Abraham. The story might be familiar, might not. Abraham, all he ever wanted was a son. If you are a Middle Eastern patriarch, that is your goal of life. It is to have an heir and pass all of your things, including your honor and whatever you've earned and gained, is to pass it on to your family, which that time, that place, was through your firstborn son, and he didn't have one. And so at first it's someone else who's a servant in his house, and God says, no, it's not going to be him. Then Ishmael, and God says, no, it's not going to be him. But first, God appears to this old man, 75 years old, with a 65-year-old wife, and makes an extraordinary promise and says, Abraham, you're going to have a son. Not only that, you're going to be made into a great nation that's going to bless everybody in the world, which is a promise that absolutely comes true in Jesus thousands of years later. And at one point, and God says to, to Abraham, look at the stars. That's how, how many descendants you're going to have, and yet Abraham's thinking, I don't have a son. And God says, well, trust me, Abraham. Trust me, get up and go. That is, pack your tents and leave and go somewhere else and I'll lead you. Where? Well, I'll lead you. Trust me. And so 75-year-old Abraham became 80 and 85 and 90. And it was 25 years later before that promise came true. And all that time, God asked Abraham to trust him. And at times he did, and at times he didn't. And when Abraham got impatient, then he mistreats Hagar and has a son with Hagar, that is Ishmael. And uh, a lot of not good comes from that. And you can see Ishmael as a symbol of Abraham loving his idol, loving his dream of a son more than actually simply trusting God. But finally, after years, 25 about years, he has a son. Beyond the age of childbearing for Sarah, long, long after the dream, you might have said, had died or mostly or somewhat. And God gives them Isaac. What he wanted most, what his heart wanted most, his lifelong dream. And you might think the Abraham story ends right there. They have a son, you know, and happily ever after, it's all done. Or uh, the modern version might be, uh, raise the son uh, when he's, you know, gone to college, got an MBA, you know, Turn over the family business to him, uh, buy the condo and the golf cart in Florida, move down there, enjoy life, Abraham. No, what does God do? He appears to Abraham and asks what you might think is the unthinkable. Genesis 22, God says, Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the mountains of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will show you. Okay, what's going on there? God gives, you might call it the ultimate test. 
Isaac, it's hard to, to describe how Isaac was Abraham's everything. And God calls the question, who do you love more? Me or that thing that you've wanted more than anything, and I've finally given it to you, your son whom you love. Now, brief pause. At this point, many of you might think, okay, what kind of God does that? Or how could a good God ask such a thing? Or, or if God was loving, why would God do that? And uh, you might run that trail quickly and then say, well, I, I just can't believe in a God who would even ask that and then, you know, bail quickly. Those are hard questions. They are challenging, yes. But don't check out right there. Actually, the, the book itself, grab one. There, there's a longer section on this that's actually really good in addressing some of this. They, they are good questions. But don't, don't bail right there at the first hard question because there's a lot more going on. God didn't simply say, Abraham, go to the tent next door and, and kill your son. Well, no. He's, he asked him to go on a long journey of trust. And at the beginning of the story, it says God's intent was not that Isaac dies, but that he tests Abraham. So he asked him to go on a journey of trust to the mountains of Moriah and, and trust me and do what I tell you. Because God is asking Abraham, who do you love more, him or me? Now for us, sometimes following the Lord means we do some strange things, doesn't it? Sometimes obeying God means Christians act what might look strange at times, and you have to trust God when people on the outside might wonder why. You see, Abraham knew that God promised him more than once, multiple times we have in the Bible of God coming and making the promise that it will make you into a great people. Abraham knew that. Abraham knew that Isaac was that promised heir. God told him he was that promised heir. And Abraham knew God was good and merciful and loving, made the promise, fulfilled the promise. So when it didn't make sense, Abraham knew God was still trustworthy. And so Abraham obeyed. And so Abraham and Isaac, maybe he's a, a teenager, we don't know, take this father and son hiking trip to, and it says, to make sacrifice. What's going on there? God always required sacrifice for sin, that we are indebted to a holy God, and God desired sacrifice of animals as, as payment, no, as a sign of one payment in the future to come. Except Isaac knew there wasn't an animal along, and so he says, Dad, where's, where's the animal? And Abraham says, well, we don't have one. God will figure this out. We need to trust God. And uh, Genesis 22 actually hints at that when Abraham uses a plural, essentially saying we to his servants, we will come back to you. So you can see in his head, I don't know what's going on here. I don't, this doesn't make sense, but God's going to figure this out. God, I don't know how you're going to work it out, but I will trust you anyway. And flip to the New Testament, Hebrews 11 says Abraham believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead. So Abraham said, okay, God, I don't know how you're going to solve this, but I, I will trust you because you are God. So 22.9, it says, Then they reached the place that God told them about. Abraham built the altar. And he laid the wood there and then bound Isaac and laid him on the altar. And he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. 
But the angel of the Lord called out to Abraham and said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. He said, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything with him. Now I know that you fear God and that you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And then Abraham looked up, said in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by his horns and he went over and then sacrificed the lamb and or the ram, instead of a burnt offering, for a burnt offering instead of his son. And so then the place became called, the Lord will provide. For now I know that you fear God, that you love me, that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So what is this about? Yes, God wanted Abraham or to know that Abraham trusted him. And yes, Genesis tells us God wanted to test him. And he wanted to know that God, or that Abraham loved God more than his son. He wanted to, to know that what is in the God spot of your heart, Abraham? Is it your son, the good blessing that I have given you? Or, or is it me? And because Abraham showed that he loved God first, he was actually then truly free to love his son, Isaac, in the best way possible, in the right way. So what about you and me? How often do you, and sometimes I, clutch onto something, call it your Isaac, call it a, your counterfeit God. How often do we clutch that thing and say, I have to have this, I can't lose this, life would not be worth living if I lost it. Or, or if I had it, life would be perfect and all my wildest dreams would, would uh, be fulfilled and everything would be wonderful. Or how often do we abandon our trust in God the moment something dear to us is threatened? Now, I, obviously, I don't know exactly what it, what it is for you or what you've struggled with throughout your life. But there comes a time in our lives often when God asks you to put your Isaac on the altar and God says, Do you love me? Do you trust me more than the blessings that I've given Am I in the right place in your heart? And when Abraham showed that he trusted God, what were his words? Don't do anything, Dim. Now I know that you fear God. You have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now this story, I believe it's a powerful story, but it's only a powerful story because it's not simply about Abraham and Isaac. And it's not simply just about Abraham and Isaac and you and me. It's not just about passing spiritual tests. Because if it was just a story about, uh, you know, be good, trust God, pass the test, and life will be good, that's actually not God's relationship with Abraham, and it's not the character of God. Abraham's relationship with God was always based on God's grace, as is yours and mine. And Abraham might have passed this test, but if we look into our lives, and if I'm honest with myself, I've probably failed spiritual tests that are far less significant than Abraham's. So we need an answer for when we actually fail all the tests that we do. You see, even though Abraham showed his trust in this moment, there were many moments where he didn't, and Abraham absolutely needed God's forgiveness. And so he needed to, yes, 
sacrifice, go on a journey and sacrifice. Abraham was still indebted and still needed God's forgiveness. And everyone before him and everyone after him, you and me included, are still indebted to God and need forgiveness that only God can make possible. You see, I believe this story is so powerful because it's first and foremost about the one it points to 2,000 years later in the same place. Jesus lived 2,000 years later, the fulfillment of all of those stories and all of those promises to Abraham and to others. And it's in, on Mount Moriah, which is in Jerusalem. That's exactly where the Abraham story happens, is where another firstborn son was stretched out on, you might say, a wood altar to die. Jesus is the greater Isaac, the fulfillment of Isaac, the one Isaac points towards because Jesus was stretched out on that wood altar for you. And you, when you and I look at Jesus on the cross, it's like we get to, in faith, say Abraham's words to God. We get to look at, at Jesus and, and say to God, now I know that you truly love me because you have not withheld your only son from me. I love that this is written thousand plus years before Jesus, and it's like we're standing at the foot of the cross looking at Jesus saying, now I know that you truly love us. You have not withheld your only son from me. See, God gave his beloved one and only son. That's how much he loves you, and that's why you can trust him with everything in your life, even when it doesn't make sense. Only when Jesus occupies the Jesus space in your heart can everything else be a blessing and fit into their proper place? And it's when those other things, you might say, climb the ladder and get out of place, that good blessings from God start to oppress us or squeeze out our love for God. And then your true love and joy and peace and identity and hope, you're, you're looking for it in something else that can't give it to you because only Jesus can. So for Abraham, you can see at the end of the story, he could only truly rightly love Isaac, his heir, the one he hoped for, the, the blessing from God. He could only love him rightly when he loved God first. And he really had his son back. And the same is true for you and me. Whenever our blessings become idols, they, they've climbed too far, and it's when God needs to call the question and say, look again, at Jesus on the cross for you and for me and let him reclaim that spot in your heart.